Thank you for joining us again today. Some of you have been with us from the very first live stream that we've done. We've been doing it now for over a year. And each week after we get programs produced and, and out, I'm always interested to see the questions and the comments that we get back. And so today, as you see, we're going to try to do some questions and answers. Sometimes we get five or six questions that are basically the same, and so we'll try to put those all together. And uh, we'll try to address three or four questions here in the next several weeks. By the way, uh, in the next couple of weeks, Mark will be announcing to you some exciting news about podcasts, how you can get some of the Bible Truth and Prophecy episodes on podcast. Well, today, let's look at some of the questions that uh, we've got. And one of these is really interesting. It's this one. Is the vaccine the mark of the beast? Well, I'm going to say right at the beginning, no, I don't think it is. A pivotal chapter in this is Revelation chapter 13. Because in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, he talks about how the Antichrist will require a mark in the right hand or the forehead. And only then are you able to buy or sell or trade or carry on the, the normal functions of society. You see, the reason I say the vaccine can't be the mark of the beast is because when you come to Revelation 13, we're past the midpoint uh, section of the tribulation. Revelation 11, the story of the two witnesses, it says in verse 2, it says that after 42 months, then the two witnesses are murdered. 42 months, that would be three and a half years. Halfway through the tribulation, there's the murder of the two witnesses. And the whole world sees them resurrect, sees them raptured into heaven. Chapter 12, it talks about a great war that occurs in heaven. And this war is, is between Satan and Michael. And remember that Satan, he's called, in verse 9 of chapter 12, he's called the great dragon. He's called the old serpent. He's the one that deceives the whole world. He was cast out. And then, after he's cast out, we come to chapter 13. Now the Antichrist and Satan work double time because they know that their time is short. That's what the Bible says. They know their time is short, and so now they want control. I think the vaccine is not the mark of the beast, but let me tell you, I think it's a, a conditioning for the mark of the beast. I've noticed that, that now the whole world is willing to accept total control over our health and eventually total control over our travel and eventually total control over our, our buying and selling because, you see, without this vaccine, they're saying, well, you're not going to be able to travel. Now, there's a, a lot of reasons for getting the vaccine. One might be to travel. And one might be to even visit your relatives that are in a care home. Or one might be because some people have health conditions where they can't, uh, they'd never be able to survive uh, the COVID. I think there will be additional COVIDs that come out. I think there'll be additional vaccines. I, my concern is because I think eventually there will be tracking components that will be put into these vaccines. So while I don't think that this is the mark of the beast, I sure think it's a way for them to condition mankind for the mark of the beast, and I sure think it's a way for them to think that they can begin to control everything. Revelation chapter 4, I believe is when the rapture occurs. The mark of the beast doesn't come until Revelation chapter 13. And also remember this, that in Revelation chapter 14, he says this in verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. They had no rest day nor night who worshiped the beast 
and his image, and whosoever received the mark of his name. You see, these people are lost forever if they take the mark of the beast. But the mark of the beast cannot come until the midpoint of the tribulation. We're this side of the rapture. That's why, that's why we're, we're safe. If you take the vaccine, you're safe. It's, it's not the mark of the beast. But the conditioning is there for us to begin to take a mark and allow them to have that kind of control. I, I think that there will be additional vaccines. I think it will help them to track people. I think the Antichrist will use this conditioning for his advantage when he comes. But we can see that the world is being conditioned for exactly the conditions described in Revelation chapter 13. Our second question is this one. Who is the Antichrist? Well, I've got to tell you, every week I get a lot of guesses from people. And some have said, well, it's Bill Gates. Or in the old days, they used to say it was Henry Kissinger because he was trying to make peace in the Middle East. Or, or some think that's Elon Musk. I, I think we need to go back and, and look at several passages of the Bible to help us with this. Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, actually talks about uh, the whole idea of the Antichrist. It's kind of the... I can say the initiation of this Antichrist. And notice when we come to this important section in Daniel that he's doing um, the story of the image. Now remember, in Daniel, several times the Gentile world powers are, are placed. Nebuchadnezzar saw one in chapter 2. There's another exposure in, in chapter 7. That's the one I want to read today. Verse 7, After this I saw in a night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, strong, exceedingly, it had great iron teeth, it devoured and broken pieces, stamped the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. Now, when we come to the end of verse 7, I think he's talking about the Roman Empire. Remember the iron legs and, and the story of Daniel. They were the, the Roman Empire, picture of the Roman Empire. And then you come to the ten toes. They're a picture of, of the, something that would spawn out of that Roman Empire. Again, in Revelation 17, we find it says there's a day when there's 10 kings, and in one hour, they're going to see, wow, when we come to power, we, we can't control this. So they give their power to an antichrist, to this new one who will take power from these 10 kings. So it is here, Daniel 7, verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before which there were three of the first horns plucked up by its roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. It parallels again what we find in Revelation. I personally think that this Antichrist might be a Jew because remember he has to win favor with the land of Israel because he's going to sign a treaty with him for a period of seven years, Daniel 9, verse 27. But for sure he's going to come out of the, of the world powers, probably Europe. And so when I look at the people that people are guessing, we can't say that they're the Antichrist. But here's what we know, that there are many Antichrists, plural, many people working toward the kingdom of Satan as we try to establish the kingdom of God. And so these people, some of them might be scientists, some of them might be medical people, some of them might be politicians, they want power. They want power so bad that they're willing to sell themselves to the Antichrist the Antichrist will use them. I think the Antichrist will use some of the people that, that we see in the news even today. Another passage that I think helps us to answer this question is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what restrains that he might be revealed in his time. He said, there's something that restrains this Antichrist. Okay, listen. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. There's 
the, the connection to the mysteries of God that we're studying. For the mysteries of iniquity doth already work, only he who now hinders will continue to hinder until they be taken out of the way. You see, as long as the Spirit of God is in the church of God and we're here, we hinder the Antichrist from doing his devilish work. But the Bible says there'll be a time when the Spirit of God is taken out, when the church is taken out in the rapture. Chapter 2, verse 8, And then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The idea, and then, that's the time frame, shall the wicked one be revealed. The idea of revealed is this. It says, okay, here's, here's my, my flipper. It's in my hand, but there's something that covers it. And the reveal means to pull away the cover. He, he's been there all along. I think the Antichrist is alive right now on planet Earth. I think he's seen people who have power, whether it's in a medical sense, whether it's in a technology sense, I think the artificial intelligence fits in exactly with what we're talking about right now. And we plan to do a couple programs on that in the very near future. But the Antichrist will take these people, he will use them so that he can gain ultimate control over the whole world. He will want control, he will want power over all the world. And so I believe that the Antichrist, while he's alive today, I don't know who he is. He can't be revealed, known for sure, until after the rapture, until after the church is gone. We're raptured in Revelation chapter 4. The deception will occur after we're gone, and he will be able to sign that treaty with Israel. And then he begins the devilish work of controlling all the world population. Here's another question, an excellent one. What if you have unconfessed sin when you die? Well, I think the, the key to answering this particular question is found in 1 John chapter 1. I want to go to that passage because it's such an important verse, I think, in the life of any believer. It says this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things have been written unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here's the idea. When Christ died on the cross, he died for our sins. Matter of fact, he covered all of our sins. You see, sometimes people say, yeah, but, but after I'm saved, I, I can understand all my sins before I was saved. They're forgiven, but what about my sins that I do after I'm saved? Do you realize that when Christ died on the cross, all of your sins, all of your sins were future. And his death on the cross, he paid the debt of sin for the whole world, including all my sins, past and present. And so I believe that the finished work of Christ covers our sins. Now, I do think there's a profound effect because you see, again, 1 John chapter 2 says this, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I think if we have unconfessed sin, if we're living in sin, and Christ comes back, or if we die in that unconfessed uh, sin state, I think we'll be ashamed before him as we appear before him, either the judgment seat of Christ or as we go into the presence of heaven if we die. It says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doth righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. But now are we the children of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when, we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. You see the point? It has to do with the fact we don't want to be ashamed when we see him. We don't want to be embarrassed by our unconfessed sin or by our life. And so when we see him and the prospect of seeing him, it causes us to purify our life. It causes us to confess our sins day by day. If we can, the moment we do them, we should confess them. Our point is to sin less, but if we sin, to confess our sins. I think it has to do with loss or reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that everything is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's, that's our salvation. That's the finished work of Christ on the cross. But then, our works afterwards, some of them are gold and silver and precious stones. The fire doesn't hurt them. It only purifies them. But other things are, are hay and, and stubble. When the fire comes, they're tried by fire. They turn to ashes. You see, I think there'll be a loss or reward. It even says that even if you lost everything, if everything was burnt up, he himself will remain alive, but his works, his rewards are gone. And so one other passage that comes to my mind, because this is such an important subject, and it has, it's in Romans chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us in our sinful condition. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. You see, it's a miracle that God would, would love us and save us when we're in our sinful condition. God took us when we were dead in our sins. He made us alive in Christ. Now, much more, he says, that we continue to be saved by the life of Christ, not by my life. My life couldn't put away my sins no matter how good I might be. My life couldn't couldn't cover present sins. There's nothing we could do that would be good enough. But the life of Christ saved us and keeps us saved. So it says, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved, future, by his life. I continue to be saved by the perfect life of Jesus Christ. Here's another question, such an important one. It talks about this. What about the situation in Iran? Is, does this say that we're on the brink of Jesus coming back, and I say, wow, it sure does. I can't think of a situation in the world more tense than what's taking place right now in the Middle East. I want to review that just for a minute because we've spent a lot of time in previous programs talking about uh, the, the fact that the Lord is coming soon, and among the ways that we know is because of the situation, the buildup in the Middle East. And among the enemies that the Bible speaks about in the Middle East is one that is called Iran. It's called Persia in Ezekiel chapter 38. But what is taking place here is quite a story. Because you see, April the 13th, New York Times, it says Iran vows to increase uranium enrichment after attack on the nuclear site. There was an attack on the nuclear site in Iran. In the past, people had to guess who it might be, but this time there's no mistake about it. Israel did it. Why would they do it? Well, here's why. Because Israel is a little teeny country in the midst of a huge uh, amount of enemies. They're outnumbered two or 3,000 to one. And Iran has made no bones about it. Eventually, their hope is to destroy the little Satan, that's Israel, and to destroy the big Satan, that's the United States. 
we know that they were involved in the 9-11 attacks. They don't apologize for it. Matter of fact, they're, they're still proud of what they've done. And so here is Israel, and Israel knows that, that now that there's less restrictions on Iran. We've watched that take place with the change of administration. And now Iran feels like they have a, a green light. They have a go-ahead button to, to go full blast. And so Israel said, in order for us to be safe, we've got to destroy the, the Iranian power play. And they did. Frankly, I'm glad they did. Because you see, it not only protects Israel, it protects us as well. And so now, a week later, April the 20th, again, the New York Times, Iran rattled as Israel repeatedly strikes key target. Yeah, they, they have to destroy it because they know that that's the only way that they can be safe. And so, should we be shocked? I think it also fits in another way. You see, the Bible says in uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, that there's going to be something that will occur in the Middle East in which all the nations of the world will gather against Israel. Even America will come against her. I think there may be people that, that will say sometime, hey, look, Israel's being the aggressor. Shame on Israel. They're not going to say, well, Israel's defending herself. Israel's defending us. Thank you, Israel, for, for not being afraid to, to take out a nuclear threat. Instead, they're going to say, Israel, you're, you're the blame. And so I think we're seeing the world, the Middle East, set up for exactly the conditions the Bible said in Zechariah chapter 12 through 14 and in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Now, one other thing I want to say is, remember in Matthew 25, the judgment of the nations, how nations treat Israel is how God will judge them as we complete the Battle of Armageddon and go into the Millennial Kingdom. I, I just want to mention that because that would be a whole program in itself. And then another follow-up to this is just shocking. Because you see, again, one week later, you see just in the span of two weeks, all that's taking place, all shaping the Middle East, all shaping the enemies that the Bible lists will actually attack Israel, try to attack Israel in those last days. And so here's what it says, treason. Iran's foreign minister says Kerry revealed 200 covert Israeli operations. Now this is unbelievable. Matter of fact, he says he was astonished when Kerry informed him about Israel's attacks on the Iranian-backed sites in Syria on at least 200 occasions. Do you realize what was taking place? While Mike Pompeo was dealing with sanctions against Iran for safety of the world and for America and Israel, at the same moment, Kerry is carrying on and telling secrets of Israel to, to the enemy. You know what? Several years ago, that would have been called treason, to betray your nation that way, to, to, to destroy the, the safety of your own country. And, and yet he now is occupying a, a prominent place in our present government. This man is so opposed to Israel. This man is so against the peace in the Middle East. It's unbelievable. But we're watching it take place. My friend, you see how the world is changing? Our world is so radically different than it was just a couple years ago. And in every way, whether it's a vaccine, whether it's the control of the whole world, whether it's the Middle East and, and the truth about the Middle East and, and the sides in the Middle East, it all points to the fact that we're living in the last days, that Christ could come at any minute. I watched these events that are taking place with Iran and with Israel and how that, that we're an instigator of this whole thing in America. And I say, Lord, we must be very near to the time that you're going to come back and call the church out. 
So that brings us to this question, are you ready? Well, with all these things taking place, I don't think there's a single person on planet Earth that wouldn't say, these are things that the Bible mentions. Are you ready? Have you ever made a personal decision about Jesus Christ? You see, I think there's some that are watching the program and you might believe in God. You might even believe the Bible is true. But the Bible talks specifically about how you become a Christian. The Bible says there comes a time when you admit before God, I'm a sinner. There's things that I've done. There's things I've thought. There's things, motives that I've had that are, that are opposed to a holy God, a righteous God. I violated the law of God. And there's nothing I can do to appease a holy God. But first, I must admit I'm a sinner. Secondly, I think you have to admit that God provided the remedy for our sin. That remedy is called Jesus Christ. He came as a perfect man. He lived on this earth, no sin of his own. The only time his body bore sin was when he went to the cross and he died on the cross. He bore my sin, he bore your sin, he bore the sin of the whole world. The Bible says that Jesus alone on the cross, bearing our sin, died, shed his blood. And he not only died, but the Bible says that he would be buried a certain way, he would die a certain way, he'd be buried a certain way, and he would come alive a certain way. And he did exactly that. He was the remedy for sin. Admit you're a sinner. Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the remedy for sin, the substitute for every sinner on the cross. He was my substitute. And the third thing is to personally accept Jesus Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I know your death, your bloodshed was my salvation. You did it for me. I take you as my Savior. Today, my friend, you could be ready by receiving Christ as your Savior. Would you do it now? Don't just believe about him. Accept him, personally accept him as your personal Savior. If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com. B-I-B-L-E-T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.